All right. Well, hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Like she said, I'm Ryan. <clears throat> and I'm just glad to be up here. Real quick before Amber sits down with the mic, does anyone have a testimony from something that's happened cool in your house group lately? Anyone got something like someone came or a conversation or an opportunity? Anyone got anything? We just want to celebrate stories and wins and Bueller. Here we go. Right, right over there. <clears throat> Amber will come your way. I feel like the price is right. Like running a and you want a new car. Like, you know. I'm just really thankful for my mom. She had cancer in her like neck shoulder right here. And Friday, she, they took it out. It was one whole piece. It wasn't connected to nothing. And they scraped that area anyway, just to make sure they got everything. And they got it. And I just praise God for it. Um, I had all you guys praying for her and everybody at my work. And I'm just so thankful that everything turned out wonderful. And I just wanted to share that with my church family. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, amen. Yeah, it's just good to be, uh, to be in a community of faith where people pray. One of the reasons that we highlight so often so many different in worship and prayer experiences because that's like the first point. It's not all there is, but that's the starting point. And I've seen God move in lives and churches where people take prayer seriously. So we wanna be a church that on every level takes it seriously. We're not gonna be perfect at it, but we're gonna go for it. And I'm just excited to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, hey, I just wanna share a few updates before I launch into uh, what we're gonna talk about today. Just updates, Amber, you might have heard her say, our website. So our website's changed. There's a lot of things that have been changing around here in the last you know, 18 months since I came on board. And um, you know, we've just been our old, new, current, just kind of coming together and the Lord's doing some fresh stuff here. So you might have seen some new logos, some new colors. We got a new website. We're just trying to, um, all the things are just kind of converging. It's like, where is Jesus leading us? Even like our name, a lot of people like Vineyard Christian or the Vineyard Church or the Vineyard or Vineyard Florence or Florence Vineyard. For years, you know, there's been a lot of different things. And so one of the things is it's like, um, if it's memorable and accessible, then it's transferable. But if we have 40 different names of our church or there's 50 different renderings of who we are, it's going to be very hard for that to be memorable, accessible, or transferable to other people. So we've just been praying and talking as a team. And one of the things that I've known growing up a lot of my life in Cincinnati, this church has been referred by people at the outside and people even on a national level, uh, level as the Vineyard Florence. So we're just kind of calling ourselves Vineyard Florence now. So our website reflects that. It's vineyardflorence.church. So if you go to the old site, it'll still kick to that. That'll be like the kind of, the, I don't even know what the word of that is, but the, we have like the domain for that, but it'll transfer you to vineyardflorence.church, and that's our website. Staff emails are changed from our last name, first name, dot last name, at vineyardflorence.church. Just a way to um, streamline everything together. So, you know, it's a little annoying. If you put the old thing in, it'll transfer 
to the new one, but just if you're wondering, or if you tell people, are signs gonna be changing? Just things are changing because we want to distinguish, we wanna take the past and where we are and where we're going and roll those into one thing where Jesus is taking us into a glorious future. So it's just little things, but I really, our team has been amazing. A lot of times summers slow down and I haven't given them that opportunity as much with, because when you're rebranding and the board said, hey, that's great, but we want this done by the end of summer. So we're like rolling with this and it's been really good to, um, as a board, we decided like, hey, let's, let's get this rolling, let's just do it if we're called to do it. And then my staff, the staff has been great. So let's hear it for all those people that have been putting in all hard work. Because there's a lot that goes in into an organization. And in Amos uh, 3, three it says, how can two walk together lest they agree? And it's very important that, that, we wanna, that we wanna operate as a family, but we're also a family on mission. And that mission is to love God, make disciples, impact the world. And so we want everything we do down to um, how, we, how we arrange things, how our services are, our house groups, our kids, our students, our worship. We want all of that to point to we're a disciple-making church that our point, that why we exist is to bring great glory to Jesus, is to love Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey me. Well, we know the thing he told us to do was to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So everything we're doing, we want the channel towards that. Are we gonna be perfect? Not a chance. But are we gonna go for it uh, like we're on fire? You betcha. So I ask you, Jesus, to just come today to meet us in this time in our trifecta series, Lord, where we're just learning more about you, how to operate in balance, how to operate in passion, how to operate in pursuit of you. We love you and we bless your name and through it we pray, amen. And so um, today we're gonna talk about one of the more practical trifectas. We've covered a lot in the last several weeks. We've covered up, in and out. Up, in and out is basically the way we see Jesus operated as a man of God that the primary disciple maker, as a disciple, he had this amazing sense of up, where he was connected to the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing, was Jesus' MO. And then Jesus did that by praying about the disciples he was gonna make and pouring his life into them, so he had this sense of up towards God, in with the people in close to him. And then he had this sense of out, where I came to seek and save the law. So Jesus lived on mission, but he got the mission, the orders from headquarters. He recruited people into his mission because he knew it was better together, and then they went and pulled it off up until now, and we're still doing that. So that was the first of those. Then we talked about how we wanna operate, and we saw how Jesus operated with his disciples. He had this amazing sense of temple, where they were meeting in the temple, and then they met house to house. So they had temples, they had tribes, but they did the, ha- but they did the task. They weren't just about going to church and doing small groups. They were also living on this missional thrust to make more disciples that make more disciples. And so we've been talking about a lot of this stuff and we've been talking about the, the point of a trifecta is there's balance. And we see embedded in the DNA of the Bible, really even the Bible is kind of written in three, in, th- in a set of three. We see a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, and then we see, we see creation, we see covenant, and we see kingdom. You see these things on a loop being talked about, being preached, being lived out in the Bible, that these things on a loop, and because we see, we know in the Psalms and the Proverbs and elsewhere, our God is balanced, that he's balanced, he's, that we're made in his image. 
And it's amazing how he even made our bodies, like how our toes are balanced, how we're balanced, and if we're off, how we could fall to the right or left or backwards or just it'd be impossible to do the things we do as humans apart from the general stuff of balance. And so um, what, we, what we know as a church that's very imperative to us is we wanna be balanced in every facet of our life, of our marriages, of our ministries, of our singlehood, of our whatever, and we want to be people that are like Jesus. We wanna be anchored in the word, and we wanna walk in the spirit. So today, we're gonna talk about one of the most practical ways to do that. And I'll kinda set the stage for you. So, I gave my life to Jesus on September 8th, 1991. I was 14 years old, living on the east side of Cincinnati. I didn't know this from this very much. And all I knew is um, my life was a mess. One night, uh, this evangelist, Terry Law, comes to town and talks about the gospel of the kingdom. And I happened to be at a Sunday night service and my life's never been the same ever since. And I was really tempted that night not to go because I remember the Bengals were playing a Sunday night game and I wanted to watch it. And even back then, I was kind of Bengals bonkers. And that's actually kind of when they were coming off. They were still good back then. We didn't have that like 30-year chasm, like that <laughs> desert period. Um, but like I remember I just went and I am so glad I did because it changed everything for me. Changed everything for me. I mean, I, you could, like when the preacher was calling people up, it's like I ran up there and nothing could hold me back. It's like there was this tractor beam pulling my heart. And like I remember, um, I gave my life to Jesus, and then as people were praying for me, they're like, okay, go in this room if you gave your life to Jesus, and so some next steps came. And then I walked into like the next steps area, and I meet this guy with like this lush mullet, and just this awesome dude named Dale Campfield. He's wearing like these, um, uh, 80s like kind of weightlifter pants, you know, and like a, collarless shirt that's buttoned up to here, just, you gotta know Dale. And, and I asked Dale, he was the youth pastor at the church, and I'm like, Dale, what do I do? He's like, well, you gotta get in the word. He's like, you gotta know the word. He's, I was like, okay. I was like, how, like, like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you gotta read the Bible. I'm like, all of it? He's like, all of it. I was like, I gotta know all of it? He's like, you gotta know all of it. I'm like, okay, I'll go know all of it. And I'm like, but it's, it's thick. And it's like size one font. Unless it's like, like my grandma's Bible that's like, you know, like you could use, you know, in case of an emergency in like an aircraft. Um, and I was like, where do I start? He's like, start in the gospel, start in the book of Matthew. And so that was a Sunday night. And it was early in the school year. And I remember a couple days later, we had this big ottoman. And I was just kind of laying on it, looking at the ceiling, reading my Bible like this, when you still had to go to a paper Bible, kids. Um, or adults, um, and I get to Matthew chapter four. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter four, verse one through 13, it says this. Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Next. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you 
and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Next. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and ministered to him. Even if I wanted to break this down in a sermon, like the enemy comes at him with three levels of temptation. Appetite, ambition, and approval. So even in there, like we even see on the cataclysmic battle before Jesus enters into his public ministry, like there's a set of three things kind of the enemy's coming at Jesus with. But what I want to talk about is very little of, of that, but what I want to mostly talk about was this thing that arrested me as I'm reading. I thought to myself as a 14-year-old untrained kid, I thought... Wow, it seemed like Jesus knew the Bible when the enemy was coming after him. It seemed like Jesus stood in the word. He didn't say, Oprah said, or my pastor said, or my rabbi said, or I think, or you know, whatever says, or he stood on the word. Like the enemy's like, it's written here. And Jesus is like, it's also written. Or it's really written, if you would quote the whole verse. You know, so there's this thing going on, like these levers that I notice that Jesus stood on the word. And I thought, I've gotta know the Bible. Because if that's what Jesus did, I probably gotta do that too. And I can't tell you enough um, how imperative that it is, Christian. If you're a Christian, if you call on the name of Jesus, one of the most important moves you can ever make in your life is to be a person who's a student of the Bible. Who knows it, who reads it. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, Amber will send a daily verse out, and that's great, and people will read that stuff, but if your spiritual life consists of a verse here, a verse there, here a verse, everywhere a verse, you know, verse, verse, um, you know, if, if that's, or a devotion, or this and that, or listening to sermons, if that's the expanse of your spiritual experience, that is like um, watching other people, that's like watching people be married on TV. That's like watching adults do things they shouldn't on a video. Like you can watch people do things but it doesn't mean you know how to do things. It's like watching someone fix something and then you trying to fix something is not the same thing. And this thing with God is in our lives that he invites us to these lives for us to know him. He's not this abstract, unknowable God. He actually wants you and me to know him. And you or me can never know him unless we have this deep, rich experience with him that is our own. And even then, I realized Jesus had this knowledge of the word that was just different. It was different, and it flavored everything he did. And the thing is, is I think a lot of us spend our lives just, um, do you know you can have as much of God as you want? Like, think of that. You can have as much of God as you want. There is no limit to the depth, to the breakthrough, to the understanding, to the experience that you can have beyond your lifespan on this life, in this world. Like there's no, there's no depth, there's no limit, there's no high too high, there's no low too low. Like there is no limit. Let's say that Jesus says that God gives the spirit without limit. 
He said, without limit. And I think a lot of us sell ourselves short because we count on other people's experience to direct our full experience. And if you want to receive the fullness of God's glory for your life, there's, there's more. You can't. You can't. This is not something that's too far from you. This is not something that's only for pastors and missionaries or the really spiritual or people with, I used to think of it as people with no lives. That like prayer was for people that didn't have a life. It's like, no, it's like this is for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. It's possible. It's possible. And it's all in Jesus. But if, but if we want to have the kind of life and power that Jesus had and the type of purpose, we got to be people of the word too. The Bible is a very simple book in a lot of ways. Now, there's some complicated things. There's linguistics. There's history. But the, but the, but the method, like the meaning, the mission, that stuff that's embedded in there, it's, it's, it's basic. It's love God. It's make disciples. Impact the world. And loving God starts with, when we, if you just want to look at the life of Jesus, he was the man for others. He was the man that pleased God more than anyone else. More than anyone else, Jesus pleased God. You know what's crazy, if you think about this? I, I was listening uh, to a book this morning, and maybe I need more time to let things soak in and transliterate, but it was in Luke 3. Do you know that when the Spirit fell on Jesus, when he was baptized by John, and the Father said, behold, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you know Jesus had done nothing in public ministry yet when he received that endorsement? Do you know what we know Jesus was? He was a guy before this that had spent time with God. He didn't wait till game time. Like Jesus had been spending his whole life cultivating this closeness with the Father. He was a man of the word. He was a man of prayer. He was a man for others. And, and men, women, students, if you want to be like Jesus, just let's be like Jesus. Just get in here. And so I, I want to dispel some of the fear of this. You don't have to have a theology degree. A lot of times a theology degree will mess you up in reading this more than just picking it up and going for it. Because you start filtering out all these weird or strange or heavy, heady things. Like Jesus just wanted it to be easier for us than that. And so um, one of the easiest ways to grow in your faith is by reading the Bible daily. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. And I think that if we want to grow, and, and you've heard me say this before, an obedient life always starts first in a very disobedient life. Right? Any of you, one who's walked with God for a very long time knows like it was, there is a thing that um, desire, desire is what helps us move into deliverance. Like I want it. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And you're like, I want to see. So I'm coming after you. I'm going for it. Like there's, like grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning and so in our lives, God, there's this desire that he'll stoke those fires in us, those embers that increase the more we, we read the word, the more we're in prayer, the more able we're to engage in a life that pleases him. And so I'm not preaching works, but I'm saying, but there's this stuff that stokes the fire. 
Like if you want a fire, you, gotta, you get all the stuff, and you, you can pray, maybe sometimes lightning will strike, but a lot of times God uses the equipment that he gives us, my friend Kate Durkholt says. God uses the equipment that he gives us, and we take those things and watch what he does. So as we read the word, it starts to come alive to us, that it, becomes, it moves from this idea, this abstraction, to a living thing. Uh, Billy Graham said, uh, Billy Graham, you want to hear Billy Graham? If you're ignorant of God's word, <laughs> sorry, you'll always be ignorant of God's will. Um, so, that was a good impression. That was free. That was totally free. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone that isn't. And D.L. Moody said, I never saw a useful Christian who is not a student of the Bible. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions, friends. It's daily bread. Do you know Jesus fed the people in the wilderness daily? He had new manna, new manna. He says he's the bread that's sent down from heaven. The bread is the word. He equates the bread with the word. And a guy who discipled me growing up, Havis Gabbard, you say, he said, there's a lot of churches that are just so full of bread that they're choking, like the word. Or they're so full of water, the spirit, that they're drowning. He said, you gotta have the water to wash down the bread, and you need both to live a healthy, nourished life. We gotta be people of the word who walk in the spirit. And I can tell you many revivals, every revival that I've ever read about, seen, starts when people hear the word of God and obey it. That just says, Jesus, come Holy Spirit. And he starts to reveal what his plan is, what his purpose is, what our, where our brokenness is. And when we do that, it's like, pow. It's like that seed, that soil, the water, the sunlight, bam. And that's, that's the recipe is if we want to see a revival, if we want all God has for us, it's imperative to become people of the word. And now I know that said, sometimes it can be really hard. Like, where do I even start? How do I read this word? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell that out for you today. Um, I grew up Jewish. And um, like I remember one time me and my grandpa were talking about a Bible passage. And we, we read something, and it was about Moses. And he said, what does this passage mean? And I said, just being a little, little Hebrew dude, I'm like, it means to me, and before I could say it means to me and get past it, my grandpa like clapped me. He's like, I don't care what it means to you. He's like, the world doesn't care what it means to you unless you have first absorbed what it means to God. He's like, what does it mean to God, the living one, the breathing one, the loving one? What did he mean? Because he said, you can go sideways in a bunch of directions if you just always take what it means to you. What does it mean? So it's important um, there's, to read this with an observation first. Say observation. 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 Oh, oh, oh. Oh, what does this mean to God? What did this mean in the original context? What did that mean in the language? Because we are faced with a culture, our culture, there's a lot of very heretical stuff out there that's pointing, well, the Bible means this to me, it means this to our culture. Well, it meant that back then, but it means this now. Well, if the dude doesn't change and the dude doesn't lie, it's probably not gonna change no matter where you live, when you live. That's important, people. What does it mean to God? Because at the end of the day, he's holy. 
He doesn't share his glory with anybody else. And he will not change it for you, me, or anybody. He won't. He won't. He can't. He can't. He, does, he won't rearrange the codex. He won't rearrange the um, sin disease problem. He won't overdo grace. He won't underdo grace. He won't make it about works. He won't make it about just, he, it's gonna be what it is. And we need to start there. We need to observe, read the Bible. What's it saying? And that day I realized, I'm like, Jesus was walking in the word. That's what I observed about God. In Lecto Divina, or like the Midrash, like say Lecto Divina or Lectio Divina. Say Lecto Divina. Lectio Divina. And this word too, Midrash. Midrash. Is, these are kind of ancient methods of how early church fathers, prophets, godly people read the word. So like the Midrash as the Jews did, it was kind of like this divine reading where they would receive like a rabbinical teaching or a discourse and they would um, chew on it together. The um, Haggadah is a book that the Jews use on the first night of Passover. So Haggadah or Haggio or Haggah means telling. It means they were told and now they tell. So the Jews would be told what the word said which, it, which comes from the biblical, biblical command in Exodus 13, eight, and you shall tell your children on that day, saying, the Lord did miracles for me when I left Egypt, so I would fulfill the Torah's command. So God did this, so we can do that. So the Haggah, they would midrash, it was this form of teaching where they would talk about it, observe what happened, and what are we supposed to do about it. Jesus says, as you've heard me quote, ad nauseum probably now. We should hand out like buckets as well as cards for some of the things <laughs> I say over and over. But um, the wise builder hears this word of mine, obeys it. They hear it and they put it into practice. Matthew chapter seven talks about that. So the Haggah means telling. We were told, ergo we do. So we observe and then we interpret what does this telling mean to us? How do we live this out? How do we obey this? How do we walk in the spirit? How do we take this word and how do we honor God with it? And then there was the Lectio Divina, which kind of the early church fathers literally means divine reading in Latin. And it was a way of becoming immersed in the scriptures on a very personal basis. That's what the Jews did, is, I mean, and that's what the early church did, because very early in the church, like the church was given this kind of um, bombastic prophecy by Jesus, and like, they're like, man, this place is awesome. A lot of the disciples might be in the holy city for the first time, and Jesus is like, don't marvel. There's not gonna be one stone left on top of another. I'm about to blow this joint up and watch, watch what's gonna happen. And so the Christians were some of the biggest culprits of that thing being blown up because Rome came down real quick on what was happening in the church because there was this new kingdom invading the earth and they were, you know, like the Pax, like the Pax Romana really was the only Romana. Like the only piece Rome knew was if it was only Rome. Rome wasn't gonna play nice with others. So they saw Christians as a threat. And you know when, if your life is never bringing on any opposition, you might not be living into what Jesus has for you. I'm just saying that. 
I'm not saying, now there are some Christians that are so cantankerous as opposed to being spiritually obvious, they're spiritually obnoxious and everywhere they go, there's problem because maybe they're the problem. But in our lives with Jesus, like we're gonna face some of the same things he did because when we obey, it says it's gonna be one of two things. It's going to be compelling or it's gonna be repelling. Paul talks about that. We'll be fragrant. You'll be the fragrance of life or the stench of death when you obey. Because the thing is, when, when the Bible, when we observe it and we interpret it and we start living it out, it changes us. And as we change, not everyone likes that. There'll be Christians who will oppose you when you start changing. Do you know that? There'll be Christians, as you start walking in the Spirit and you're not operating in the flesh anymore, as the Spirit is being uh, released through you and then more of heaven's coming into you because you can have as much of God as you want, when we're, not, when we're in that place, we'll have opposition from everywhere. Because do you know that Christians don't always like to obey either. A lot of times, you'll feel the most persecution from people that you've walked with so far, and there's like a lot of carnality that they're stuck in, and they don't want to change either. And so it's imperative that we walk in the Spirit so that we not only live, not that we learn to interpret, but we live the interpretation. Because the Bible is not just a book to read, or no, it's like a book that transforms us. And Lectio Divina was basically a way of becoming like immersed the same way as the Jews did like the, uh, like the Haggadah. And it comes from St. Gregory of Nyssa, um, who kind of lived circa 330 to 395. And um, he was, um, was kind of the disciple like of Benedict, who became the founder of the Benedictine order. And he taught Benedict how to basically read the scriptures in a way that like he was connected always with the presence of God. That they would talk about the greatest present was the presence. In living and breathing with what God said, what he's doing, and what he's doing next. It's kind of like that now and not yet tension we talk about a lot in the vineyard. And it was about fully imagining he would, uh, like the Benedictines would teach, like as you observe, fully imagine what's going on. Like imagine what Jesus felt like fasting for 40 days. We did an all church fast back in March and some of us fasted a few meals and that was like, we were asking you to light yourself on fire or some people fasted the whole time. Maybe you fasted longer, like 40 days. I love how it says, he fasted 40 days and nights and he was hungry. <laughs> My response is, no joke. <laughs> like I remember one time I fasted 40 days and guess what? And Ryan was hungry. <laughs> Ryan was hungry. Ryan was like, became like, like a gorilla trying to get to like a pack of bananas. Like at the end of that, like I, was, I became like ungodly at the end of my fast, like running to the fridge. My wife's like, dude, what's, what's going on here? I'm like, I'm, I haven't eaten. She's like, do you deserve to eat at this minute? Why are you acting like that? Why do you like kick your kid over to, you know? I'm like, You're probably right. But it's like, I was hungry, but like observing what Jesus was feeling. And the enemy comes at him like, bro, you want some bread? I know you're gonna multiply it. Turn this into bread. I know you can do it. You're about to do it with a Lunchable. You've done it with manna. Or hey, we can, we can short, we can short chain, we can like cut this short. Why don't you get all the worship and adulation right now? 
jump from there, catch yourself. We know you're gonna fly at the end of Acts, so just show them like the Kal-El version right now and stop and everyone will see you. Why don't you do this now? You won't even have to go through the cross. Fly now. Like these are things, you have to know, these are things Jesus did. Jesus can make stuff out of nothing. We know literally at the end, in book of Acts, like Jesus flew up in the air and they're like, come on, he's coming back the same way he came. First time, that time he ascended, next time he's coming down on the horse. And it's like, so he did this. And, you know, so imagine, observe what Jesus is going through. It's the whole story. And if you're just reading a verse here and there, like there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of verses. If your life consists of a verse a day and that's the word, at the end of their life, you'll say, yeah, and Ryan was hungry. Why are we purposely fasting from the word of God? Why are we purposely fasting from breakthrough? If we know that that's how Jesus got breakthrough, that God was well pleased with him before he did anything, it's because Jesus, to him, God was everything. So we observe, we interpret. What, so what does that mean? To me, I'm sitting there reading the book as this little 14-year-old booger picker. I'm like, I guess I need to read this thing a lot. I guess I need to memorize all of it that I can because Jesus seemed like he memorized it. Because when he was quoting, like, it, was like, it wasn't like, um, it is told by so-and-so who did this. No, that's like, that's like uh, you know, Acts chapter 19 with the seven sons of Sceva. I know Jesus, I know Paul, but bro, Jesus knew it. He hid it in his heart. That's how he was the perfect man, is he hid it in his heart and he didn't sin against God or us. And then the next part was the application. We don't just obey in a vacuum. Like our obedience has an application to it. And so we observe what's going on there, the original text. What does God mean? What's the meaning? Interpret. What does this mean to me, my situation now, this world? And then I apply it. How do I live this out to become the fragrance of life for those who are being drawn and the stench of death for those who are being repelled? Now, we don't want to walk around being the stench of death, but it's going to be that. You know, if you love God, it's going to be repulsive to a lot of people. Jesus says, like in John, he says, the world didn't just hate the light, they love the darkness. There's a lot of people we'll encounter, friends, that just love the darkness. They don't want the Lord. They don't want what he has. They don't want to live differently. I have family members, like, they just, they have no desire to be moral. They have no desire to give up their life for someone else. They have no desire to share what they have with anyone else. And we just gotta be okay with that. We've gotta be okay that what we do, what well, times, bother people. And I don't want to preach a workspace Christianity because like I said, like that great quote from a guy named Jim Bergen is, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We, we're not trying to earn. Like we're not working to get to heaven. We're working because heaven got to us. Amen. And as heaven gets to us, the primary ways heaven's going to get to you, friend, is going to be through his word and through prayer. That's just the way it is because we see that's what Jesus embodied. So if we want to be like him, let's just be like him. We knew Jesus, these, there's no way Jesus just was in a verse a day because at, at that point in time, Jesus became a rabbi. Um, well, he was, uh, he was a rabbi. People called him rabbi. They never would have in that culture. He, 
Rabbis, Pharisees, you became a Pharisee in your 30th year, so you had to be at least 29. And we know for Jesus to have this type of ascension that Jesus had at least memorized the first five books of the Bible, like the Torah. That's just baseline. All the little Jewish kids had to memorize the Torah. Those who didn't would either go on to the family trade or something else. You had to have done that if you wanted even to be considered to be a disciple of the rabbi. So we know Jesus was this disciple. We saw when, you know, when he was 12 years old that he was in the temple asking questions that they're very impressive because he was already then a student of the word. And he said to his mom, where were you? We lost you. He's like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? So he's already quoting the word at a very young age. It's imperative to know the Bible. If you want to be a strong Christian, you got to be a, a rooted Christian. But I want to encourage you to not just read the Bible. It's not like, oh, you read a chapter and you're done. I've heard, um, I saw a quote and I didn't know who it was. It says, reading the Bible without uh, meditating is like trying to eat without swallowing. Like God wants this thing to permeate us. So when you read the Bible this week, let it just, it's not a checklist. Like, let it permeate. Have enough space. If you listen to it or if you read it, whatever. If you need a couple translations, just give enough space for that thing to permeate you so you can digest it. So you can chew the cud and kind of, you know, go over it, go over it, go over it. Because his mercies are new every morning, so you could read a passage Literally, there's things I've read hundreds of times and I can't believe how many times. Like even just this morning, I probably read Luke chapter 10 in the past, I would say in the past 12 years, I've probably read Luke chapter 10. I can't even tell you. I've read it more than anything else because I think it's the most seminal discourse on what disciple making is in the Bible. There's so many things embedded in it. So I've read it a million times and I just listened to a guy talk about this morning. I was like, whoa, I haven't thought of that. So the Bible, this, because it's the Lord, so there's so many applications, but he doesn't change. Um, and the um, Hagaic uh, Midrash, which was confined originally to the exposition of a scripture text, um, was very developed, but the thing that was interesting was when they would do it, or even like as a Jew, like I remember, there was certain things, like I remember when we would uh, midrash something, my grandpa would be like, we're not talking about that. Like what? He's like, no, this tells us to do this. We don't need to add to it and discuss it if we need to obey this. He's like, there's certain things. So there were certain things even like in the law that they're just like, we're not gonna midrash that. He just said it. I want you to know, friends, there are many things in God's word that are not they're, they don't need a load of interpretation. There's a lot of things that we miss because we sit around, well, can it mean this? Can it mean that? Well, in our culture, it says this. There's a lot of things that Jesus has put in there that will, your life will be a lot simpler if you're like, he says we can't come to the kingdom unless like children, unless we come like children. There are certain things, friends, and I'm not just calling for like a blind, empty Christianity in a vacuum where you never think. He gave us minds, we're made in his image, but there's certain things that a child just obeys and you expect them to. Like, don't commit adultery. 
You don't need to interpret that. No matter how much you don't like your spouse or your situation, no matter how hot that other person is, no matter how they make you feel, no matter what that's like, no matter how much there's an allure for you or you think this couldn't possibly turn out as bad as fire on my lap, you don't need to sit around and talk about adultery. If you're having those thoughts, take them captive, bind it, move on. That will, that will never produce a fruit in your life. There are certain things that are just, don't even do it. Don't steal. Don't not pay your taxes. That's stealing from the government. Give, you know, Matthew 22, 21, like give to Caesar what Caesar's and what to God's God. Pay your taxes. Don't, don't debate. There's loopholes. I mean, hire like an accountant if you don't want to pay the max tax, but pay your taxes. Because he said, don't steal. You know what I mean? Like there's some stuff we just do because we're born again, no matter what it costs us, because we're people who obey. And I don't mean that trite or whatever, or to be heavy. I mean, it kind of makes it easier. Yep. I don't have to overthink all this. There's some stuff, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take a day off weekly. There's a, I'm going to take a day off weekly because he tells me to. And I see, we always see Jesus working from his rest, not resting from his work. And we know the, the, the creator took a day off. I can too. So I'm just going to obey it, even though it's hard. I'm just going to obey it. So I want to share with you something as we're kind of wrapping up that our old pa- my old pastor at that church where I got saved all those years ago said, every week when, we'd start, when he would start to preach, and some of you here say, this is my Bible. Say this. Say, this is my Bible. I thank God for the Bible. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. And then keep going, I thank God for the Bible. Like, this is my Bible. This is your Bible. This is the living word. This is like Jesus, the Logos. Like, he was this made flesh. The full embodiment of God lives in here. So we can thank God for the Bible. We have what it says it has. We can do what it says we can do. Thank you, Pastor Mike Murray. He's with Jesus now. I have what it says I have. You know, you have what this book says you have. You can do what this book says you can do. But we also should do what this book tells us to do. So when you read this thing today, when you read it tomorrow, observe it. What's happening? What's happening in that original story? Because it's always best to get um, the content from the context. So what's going on with both levers? Balance. Don't just look at the content. Don't just look at the context. So we observe, and then we interpret. What's it say to me? Lord, what are you speaking to me right now? And then what am I supposed to do about it? So observation, interpretation, application is O-I-A. And so I just want, I want to encourage you today. I know like, you know, like, oh, it's a sermon about reading the word. That's so important. But I'm going to tell you one other thing. Don't worship this thing. Don't worship this thing. Worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. We, Jesus is so much that we need his word and his spirit. We can't just take our word for it, our thoughts of it, men's thoughts about it. We need his spirit to interpret this thing. Jesus got on the Pharisees. He's like, y'all you know, claim to know this stuff, but you deny the power therein. There's a lot of churches where their trinity is Father, Son, Bible. 
There's a lot of churches in our culture. Maybe some of you have come from those churches where people worship the word and like the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't know if it ran over them with a dump truck. But there's some churches that are like, almost throw this out the window where they don't obey at all. There's a lot of these kind of older line denominations where they're having these synods. Well, do we still obey this thing? I mean, we know some of that stuff's pretty antiquated. They don't have the word or the spirit. Or the father or the son. I don't know what they're doing. It's like the Lions Club minus the ashtrays. You know, it's like... Uh, <laughs> so, Brad knows what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, I, I just encourage you to um, know this. Read this. Ruminate on it. Ask questions. Write it down. If you don't know something, that's where you study. Start writing it down. Go talk to a friend. Pray more. Like, spirit. You can sit there like... Spirit, what does this mean? He says, I'll send the Spirit. He says, it's better for you if I go away because my Spirit will come and he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Everything I've said. Everything I'm saying through this. He'll remind us. He'll refresh us. He'll instill us. Don't discount the word, friends. So we're gonna pray. We're gonna wrap up. And I just wanna encourage you today to... Um, just stick, stick out your hands, just like this. Doesn't have to be anything spooky. But just, um, I'm just gonna pray, like it talks about in the word, for a spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom. So Jesus, would your spirit of revelation and wisdom fall on this church? Would a spirit of revelation come to us? Would you impart to us revelation by your word? Would you impart to us revelation by your spirit? Would you impart to us revelation by your church, your chosen vehicle to proliferate your word, your works, and your mission, Lord, in your way? Would you speak to us by this? And Lord, would you release us in this time? Would you just unclog any clogs in our drain that keep us from having time, from having desire? To read, the, to read the Bible, to know it, to know you? Would you speak to us? Would you bust through any barrier? Would you cause the release of the Spirit to happen in this place? Lord, help us to grow up in, in the fullness of Christ, like pa Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, that we'd grow up in the fullness of Christ. And in Ephesians as well, the fullness of Christ, that we would come up in that, Lord. And you prepare us for every good work. In Ephesians 4, that you would release an apostolic spirit, a prophetic spirit, a pastoral spirit, a teaching spirit, an evangelistic spirit. Help us to walk in those offices and those giftings and those callings as we obey you to bring you much glory. Help us to observe what's in your word better. Help us to interpret what's in your word better. And help us to imply what's in your word better, Lord, because we love you and we want to obey you. We don't obey you not because we have to, but because we get to, because you're amazing and you love us. Would you just overtake every barrier, every hindrance we have? In Jesus' mighty, precious, and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, if you want prayer for anything, um, we'd love to pray. Our prayer team will come up here. If you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I, just like that day when I heard the word, you're like, man, I want this stuff in my life. I want change, growth, healing. Come on up. We'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. And as I always say, go and sin less this week. Oh.